So, man, we are about to have a pretty interesting conversation with Phil Schultz, Dr. Deborah Furhold, and my good friend, Kisa Smith, who's going to join us a little later in the call. But um, some interesting things happening these days. Many of you all know I chair the Task Force on Racial Inequities here um, in Tennessee County. It's a regional task force focused on both um, efforts related to COVID during COVID to ensure Black and Brown people are dispropor disproportionately um, impacted by the, by the virus. But part of our conversation is about post-COVID. What happens in economy post-COVID? What happens for access for Black and Brown communities um, post-COVID? And a lot of um, activity has been happening in the cannabis space. And I'll tell you outright, I don't know a whole lot about the space. Um, but I've invited some folks who have some strong opinions about what should happen in this space and what might even happen right here in Flint, Tennessee County. Um, I'm going to start this live. Well, actually, I'm going to slow down a little bit because I should probably wait for some folks to sign on here. Um, but again, by way of introduction, Isaiah Oliver has never, and I don't say this as a, um, as a feather of my cap or a point of pride, I just have never um, smoked a joint, smoked a cigarette, um, done drugs outside of maybe <laughs> outside of prescription drugs, it sounds weird, but um, outside of um, an over-the-counter kind of Tylenol kind of thing. And so this is in no way me endorsing this, but what we're watching happen right now, and quite frankly, what we know will happen after um, COVID is over, or at least we're more in control of the virus, is that this <coughs> to boom and we're going to ask questions about what happened during the 12 to 18 months where we were all locked in our homes with our physical mental and emotional health issues what was happening with this economy and who was driving it and where were the questions where were the opportunities to ask questions about who was driving it um and i got a person who, who has a strong opinion about it um, i'm going to invite him now uh, Phil Schultz, I'm going to invite you to just share a little bit about who you are so for the folks on my timeline or Deborah's timeline or who will be on Kisa's timeline, or who are um, linked to this by way of shares. Who is Phil Schultz? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Give me a couple of minutes. First of all, let me say hi to my son and daughter, who I haven't seen for about four or five months. I think they're on the podcast. Um, as we go down this little journey for the next half hour or so, let's, let's, let's start with two assumptions. And the first assumption is, let's assume that there will be a provisioning center sometime in the downtown area in the next five years. Let's just make that assumption. The second thing I'd like to talk about is these views are gonna be my own. They're not necessarily those of my partners, my friends, my families, or whatever. So any of the good or bad, throw them at me. It's not a reflection on anybody else. Um, I'm here to be absolutely 100% transparent. Uh, as, as I've started literally in the last three or four weeks, and I don't really know that much about all of the details, but I have a letter of intent signed from a very substantial company to put a provisioning center in the Raspberries location that I purchased a few weeks ago. And my consultants and attorneys that I've talked to said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, whatever you do, keep it under wraps, keep it under wraps. Well, um, that's not my style. Um, pretty open book as much as I can be. I wanna be exceedingly transparent. I want people to tell me the good, the bad and the ugly. And uh, if it doesn't go forward, it doesn't. If it does, I want it under the auspices that everybody understood it was gonna go forward and how it all uh, came about. Um, the, the community deserves uh, an open conversation about this and, and I'd like the feedback. Um, a little bit about me, um, like Isaiah, I've never used marijuana and I was at Michigan State in 1968 and it was prevalent, never smoked, not my bag, probably not gonna happen in the future. 
I am not in the marijuana business. I just happen to own a building that was called Raspberries that I recently purchased. And since I purchased this, there's been uh, more than a fair amount of companies uh, propose me making it a provisioning center in the last four to five weeks. A little bit about me. I was born in Flint in 1948. Um, went to Central High School, go Indians. Graduated from Michigan State University. I have a wife, been married for 50 years. I have two kids, roughly 40 years old, and two and a half grandkids, um, all of which reside in LA and my wife lives in uh, Manhattan. Um, I've served on the Hurley Board for 10 or 12 years, the Hurley Foundation Board, United Way Board, Huntington Community Board, and many other things. Um, been a pretty much a Flint loyalist. Uh, in 2004, I was one of a few people that started Uptown Developments, which was the genesis of, of taking downtown that was pretty desolate and turning it on, helping turn it into what it is today. Um, I own or part own four or five different restaurants downtown. We've made quite an investment um, in the downtown personally, professionally, uh, and emotionally. Um, I'm here for a long time because I don't think the job's done, and I want to do my part to make it as good as we can for, for your kids and your grandkids. That's one of the reasons I got started was because my kids left. And I remember how wonderful it was back in the 50s and 60s to have a vibrant downtown. I was uh, one of the founders of the Flint Diaper Bank. We give away a million to a million and a half diapers to kids under the age of three living under the poverty level uh, within Genesee County, which represents about 4,000 children. We give away a million and a half diapers free of charge. I also was the founder of, I'm concerned about the blueberries. It's a pay it forward program that we put probably 10,000 kids through in the last eight years. Um, why, why am I considering doing this? Um, the, the main reason is from a protectionist standpoint. A couple of the people that have proposed making this a provisioning center um, tried to do it before I purchased the building and for a couple of reasons it failed. A couple of the entities that I think want to come downtown, I don't think we would want to have downtown. I think the time has come in the next five years that there will be a provisioning center. If and when there is, I think needs to be a company that is um, uh, vital, is community minded, um, serves the people in a professional, adequate way. And knowing that this may happen, I guess maybe I'm a control freak, but if it's gonna come down, I would like somebody that has um, the dedication to downtown to make sure that it's run properly and is not a negative. Um, there's substantial tax dollars that can be taken by that. There's employment levels. There are people in our community that have medical uh, marijuana needs that don't have transportation. They can get within two blocks by taking the bus lines. It's great to take an older building and, and turn it into something newer. Um, it's sort of the wave of the future. I've talked down, talked to a few of the downtown residents and businesses, and I have had not have uh, pushback yet. Their question is, is if we're going to do it, it needs to be done right. Um, if it does happen, I want to do it right. And the only way I feel right is, is if I can have the feedback from people who know more about this than I do and can have a glimpse into the future. And it's uh, much more of a positive than it is negative. So, so quick question. I mean, I want to jump right in and I'm going to invite um, my co-pilot on these, Dr. Deborah Furholden, to jump in as well. But when you say done right, because I'm just going to end with the last comment you list. So we want it done right. Done right who's included? Like whose voice are we talking about when we describe, when we say done right? 
That's a great question. And it's really anybody who would be in any way, shape or form um, related to this, whether it's customers, whether it's the culture, whether it's the people walking up and down the street, whether it's the optics, whether it's the PR value, anybody can be negatively or positively impacted by anything if it's not done right. And so part of my goal today is what, what does done right mean? I know I have very specific things that I think about that represent done right, but I'm not the holder to all the keys because what I believe that done right may not represent what the other people in the community want that done right to be. And that's one of the reasons um, I'm, I'm appreciative for having this uh, Facebook Live content. So Deborah, when you think about done right, when we start to talk about equity, when we talk about done right, what does that mean for you? So it's a couple things, right? Because um, th th this, this notion that we've created recreational marijuana use in Michigan, that's new for us. That came about in 2018 um, through legislation that went in action in 2019. Um, and so done right means there's, it, it's not just in a vacuum. There's a whole lot of things that need to be undone to me for this whole thing around um, opening up this marketplace to be done right. Um, as I've shared, there's a lot of black and brown bodies doing time for marijuana related offenses. There are a whole lot of people with felony offenses because of marijuana related offenses. Prior to the legislation, there are people who went to jail for 10 years or more for things that now wouldn't even garner a public citation. And so I feel like there's multiple pieces to it. And then as I think about the redevelopment and the revitalization of Flint, which I really do tip my hat to Phil and others, I know Uptown has been a major player in helping to revitalize our area. I myself am at Michigan State University in the old Flint Journal building. That is an Uptown uh, building. We wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be able to do all the great work that we do had it not been for the business sector coming in to make those kinds of strategic investments in Flint. So to that end, I feel like a, a whole lot of good has been done. That building houses the Flint Registry. It houses the program that took our fruit and vegetable prescription program, not just in Flint, but across the nation to scale. A lot of good has come from this development. What I'm looking for is for our multi-stakeholder approach to revitalizing not just downtown Flint, but all of Flint to have equity at the forefront of the conversation. And so I'm also asking myself, if we think about how to do this right, where is the seat at the table for others who don't have the historic rights and privileges and opportunities for ownership, for business, for buy-in? Phil, I appreciate uh, a lot of the work that you're doing around paying it forward. Um, I just feel like this issue specifically, so many have been on the bad side of it and so many have been a victim of a system that previously criminalized marijuana. The thought that now the marketplace is being open and it will be predominantly wealthy white men and business stakeholders who will be the beneficiaries of a system where now this is going from recreational to now legalized fundamentally there's something about my values that I'm grappling with that because I think where is the seat at the table where are the people who were growing marijuana before and now that it's legal but they now have a felony record how do they get access into this market and how do we ensure that a new uh, dispensary downtown doesn't further the sort of burgeoning downtown which for a lot of people I know they don't feel like it's their downtown Let's, let's pause right there, Deborah, because I think that that last part, first of all, everything you said was poignant. That last part is really important, and I want Phil to respond to it. Which which last part? And first of all, the just last part about people feeling disenfranchised, not feeling connected, and how this might further, one, it might further disparities that we know exist, but it also might um, drive a deeper wedge between those who have access to downtown 
and benefit from the activity downtown and those who don't have access or don't feel welcome in the space. Absolutely, absolutely. And just, just to reiterate this, and I'll probably say this a couple more times, I am not in the marijuana business. I do not have a, an equity position with any marijuana company. I just happen to own a building that a lot of marijuana related companies want to utilize to provide their products to the marketplace. So I, I'm just leasing a building. That's all I'm doing. Um, but but to the questions th that that uh, Dr. Deborah brings up is um, it's unconscionable to me that that I or anyone is opening up a marijuana market to make millions of dollars because I know some of the people in this business are making ridiculous amounts of money literally in the last two or three years when we have hundreds if not hundreds of thousands of people incarcerated for smoking a joint 15 or 20 years ago and and not only should they all be released and now I'm getting a little political and I probably shouldn't do that but but if the whole game is legal now how can you be behind bars for something that happened 10 or 15 years ago it that blows my mind therefore it, it absolutely is insane <laughs> to me if you're going to legalize marijuana there need to be some quid pro quo that says all right anybody that was guilty of that offense that goes away but and someone in the chat can correct me if i'm wrong but i think we did legalize but we didn't decriminalize um and i think that's true in michigan not in all states but in michigan but in michigan but but going forward the other the other issue is this is moving so fast, this wave of marijuana business, which is gonna be a multi tens of billions of dollar business. You talk about disenfranchised. Now I'm starting to step into who are some of the players. Most of the players I've talked to right now look like me. Virtually all except one or two look like me. And the ones that don't look like me are small players in the industry. The bigger players look just like me. And, and, There's, and, and, there, and there, is a re, there is a reason for that, right? And we're not going to deeply explore privilege here, but we could, sure. right? And, yep. and earlier we were talking about privilege and how we define privilege. And for me, it's special advantages. Special, special advantages that you have because you've earned them by way of school or education or hard work or Talk. special advantages that you get because of a social class or race or age or gender, right? And so... Um, I think people are going to be in this space trying to figure out which one it is because you don't get to wear a shirt and say, oh, this special advantage is because I'm white. This special right. advantage is because I went to MSU for four years. This special advantage is because I worked hard. And so people are going to be trying to figure it out. But when you see that 60 to 70 year old millionaires are the only ones that get to benefit from an industry that is going to make billionaires out of many of them, there is a, there is a privileged question that has to be answered or addressed and discussed by all of the stakeholders that you described earlier. But I'll go, but I'll go a little bit farther. Most of the millionaires are getting into this business are providing the access to do the work for them to the people that aren't millionaires and are going to go out and do the work. And those people don't have millions. They don't have all of the privileges, but a lot of them are white. So, so what's the barrier to entry for a young black man? right, who doesn't have millions, unless somebody who has the millions and it's in this space invites them in to participate. That, I'm not seeing that happen. No, no, so I'll tell you, what is that? What is the barrier to entry? Is it, is it $15,000? Is it $26,000? Is it $100,000? No, what is it? No, no, who you know. So, I, know people that, I know people that have millions of dollars, they can't get into the program. 
Okay. You, so it's, it's social capital. Social capital. Thank you so much for joining. Well, she probably can't hear me just yet. She's connecting. But but let, let's let's talk about this for just a moment, right? Because and I don't know the I don't think this is the crust of where we're going, but I think it's an important place to kind of pause. It's a, there's a parallel. There's some financial capital that you're saying isn't as important as the social capital that you have to have to enter into this space and take advantage of all of the benefits that we know. Like we're just watching it blow up. You start thinking about Colorado, you start thinking about California. We're watching people make money hand over fist, right, in this space. And we're saying that the barrier to entry is not financial capital, it's social capital. Well, um, hi, Kisa, how are you? I'm pretty good, how you guys doing? Good, nice seeing you. I had to um, get rid of my company, so I, I'm like, I didn't want to go live while I still have people at my house, so. <laughs> um, to your point, Isaiah, and again, I know this much about this industry. I'm just starting to learn, you know, I'm, hopefully I'm a, I'm a quick study, but a lot of the people that I know that are starting to make it were a couple of guys growing in their basement or in their backyard or whatever, and they're starting to cultivate, no pun intended, uh, a skill or an expertise, right? Well, if I want to invest in something, and I don't know anything about it, but I know it's gonna be the next best thing. I have, I have two avenues. I either learn it myself, or I found some, find somebody that's already understand it and has the skill set, and I'm gonna bring them under my wing and I'm gonna give them money to make this thing grow. Again, no pun intended, right? And that's what I see is happening. I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of um, uh, African-Americans that are outgrowing that have been that have been brought in by some of privilege saying, let's go to the next level. That may be happening all over the place. I haven't seen it. What I've seen is the opposite. A few people, a couple of white kids growing in their basement, they understand how it works, they're cultivating. And all of a sudden somebody says, I wanna take this to the next level, but you don't have enough capital to do that. But you with me, your skill, my capital, we can take it to the next level. That's my impression from a little guy sitting in Flint, Michigan, not knowing much about this, but that's what I see. And so let's loop this back because Kisa didn't hear the beginning part of this conversation. But the thought is that there might be the potential of bringing, um, and this is not me, but the potential of bringing a dispensary of some sort to downtown Flint. And right now, this is an opportunity for people to ask questions about why and who's engaged and, and place and equity. And Pros and cons. Pros and cons. And so, Kisa, I invite you to share. I mean, I know you have some lived experiences in this space. Um, you probably <laughs> right. have thoughts about who and why and where. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you start thinking about a provisioning center in Flint? So what's crazy is that we've been having this conversation because we have, we have been uh, talking about this. Uh, some uh, group that I've kind of created um we were talking about pooling our money together and we were talking about starting new businesses together you know what i'm saying because it's like basically we're not none of us just have that much capital but if we can pull the group together we can do it so that was one of the first things we thought what about a dispensary downtown so the, the old mcdonald's spot kept coming up where it used to be the uh the mcdonald's building we were like they haven't done nothing with it let's see what's going on with this building then i have a, a friend of mine she has an uh she inherited an office from her dad and it's right there on First and Garland. We thought about that building. We like that building is perfect. It's already uh, has offices sectioned off. So we've been talking about it, but none of it has came together. But I think it's a great idea, you know. And then just being downtown, I think um, that's just one of those businesses that that entity being downtown. I think it'll be. I think it'll be very beneficial being downtown. 
um, far as the pros. So even somebody think, talking about it right now, like we've been talking about it for two years. <laughs> it's, it's been like, it comes up, then the, then it, nothing ever happens. So you know how sometimes you got a group, but people are never on the same page. But we actually discussed this several times in, in meetings. And we were like, well, what's going on with this building? What's going on with that building? Because we were trying to figure out the, lo the building location, you know, which is a, a big deal. Uh, but but that was just it's just crazy that's even being talked about because well does kisa does, does kisa know that we're talking about the raspberries building i don't she came in late to the conversation so oh no I, mean, I didn't know that okay well let's 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 go back let's go back a little bit um, okay uh, dave and patricia uh barry who i love they're great people owned raspberries i purchased raspberries from them probably about a month ago prior to that there were some people from out of town that wanted to that were talking to him about buying the building. It was going to be a dispensary, blah, blah, blah. It all fell apart. Um, so I bought the building actually to do something else with it. But then some people approached me about making a provisioning center. Um, and so the assumption from the beginning of this um, uh, Facebook Live episode was, let's go under the assumption that there will be a provisioning center in downtown Flint within the next five years. Because of all the stake that we have put, all of us, including you, Kisa, the amount of money that we're putting into downtown for livelihood and for a, a social center and whatever, if that's gonna happen, I want somebody to control it that cares about downtown Flint so that it doesn't go sideways and be a negative to downtown Flint. So that's why, you know, some as I was telling earlier, some of the people, my consultants and attorneys are saying, don't talk about it, don't tell anybody that you're trying to get your zoning changed to go for a provisioning center, keep it under wraps. Well, I'm more transparent than that. I'm coming out saying, this is what I'm thinking about doing. We've got to go through some hurdles at uh, the planning commission, if I understand it correctly, um, which could shoot this whole thing down. But what I didn't want is people to think that I'm doing something under the table with privilege or without privilege to make something happen without people downtown or within the city having at least their say, whether they think it's a good thing or a bad thing. So now okay. you're sort of caught up to speed. Okay, makes sense. I mean, raspberries, interesting, and it's right there. It's right there on the strip. Yeah, right well, several several things really interesting about raspberries. One, part of downtown Flint, um, but beyond that, I would say one of very few buildings, just property, that was owned by a person of color. Business, yes. Find, that, find, that, find that there was a transition of leadership or ownership. But what's happening in that space no longer is directly providing service to people of color. So what is what are, what are the optics of that? And what have you, I know you've thought through this field, what are the optics of that? The optics? Yeah. Well, it depends on your point of view. Um, you know, um, dispensaries are a little bit probably like bars were after prohibition, right? Oh my God, it was this, it was really, really bad, really bad. And I'm sure the first bars weren't right downtown and everything was great. It, people had to sort of warm up to the idea. You know, if we go another 10 years down the road, they're probably going to be all over the place. And it's going to be like going to Walmart, I guess, for people is that going to the liquor store. It's just not like that right now. So I think the perception, the early perception is negative, even though what are those negatives? And that's one of the reasons I'm here. Help me understand the negatives that maybe I don't see. Uh, and just for Kisa's um, edification, I have a letter of intent from a well-known, very well-run um, uh, marijuana company that makes beautiful jewelry store type of provisioning centers, very well funded, very socially responsible, community minded. And, and if this goes forward, that's the one I'm planning to put in there because I've already had the conversation of 
how do you do X, Y, and Z? There's no smoking on premises um, with certain guidelines. My guidelines, I, I apologize, but somebody needs to have guidelines whose benefit is greater than the financial gain. It's how it looks and represents the downtown community. So, so really quick, really quick question. And I've got a couple of questions in my chat, but this one is, is a good one. It says, how many jobs will it provide to those who have been affected by the criminal justice system? Okay, um, that's a great question. Again, it's, I, I don't represent that company, right? right? But, but, but I have a little bit of influence with them as to what, I, what some of my objectives are. And, and I'm thinking it's somewhere around 20 employees. And I would love to be able to say, guys, here's, here's one of the tenets of your hiring practice that I would love to see you um, embrace. And one of those would be exactly what you just stated. Now, again, I can't, I can't force anybody to do anything, but I think there's certain ground rules to be a good corporate and social member of the Flint community that people need to abide by so they're not just all carpet beggars coming in to make a buck. That, that's not working for me. Isaiah, can I jump in for a quick second? And Please. I just want to jump in with the conversational equity. So, so my position is that if we don't mandate equity, our natural drift is to inequity. And we all were familiar with the crack cocaine epidemic. I was born in DC and raised in DC until I moved to Flint when I was 14. Crack cocaine to this day, 70% of all crack cocaine users are white. I'm gonna say that again. 70%, 65 to 70% of all crack cocaine users are white. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 implemented mandatory minimums. And it said, if you have five, are in possession of five grams of crack cocaine, it's a minimum no parole sentence of five years. For the same penalty, you could possess up to 500 grams of powder cocaine. There was nothing inherently racist about that law. Because at the time, and to this day, the majority of crack cocaine users were white. But what happened is that law became a tool that was used by the state to unfairly target black and brown communities and disproportionately incarcerate them. And then even when we saw how they were treated and adjudicated in the criminal justice system, they literally got the books thrown at them. If you were white and you appeared before a judge, we saw those mandatory minimums oftentimes not being honored. If you were black and brown, oftentimes we saw those mandatory minimums were exceeded. So even though 70% of crack cocaine users were and are still white, 85% of people adjudicated in the criminal justice system for crack cocaine related offenses to this day are black. So there was nothing inequitable about the crack cocaine laws. It was the fact that those crack cocaine mm -hmm. laws became used as a tool to further inequity. My concern, and Phil, I'm gonna push just a little bit, is if you say, hey, I'm just the, the, the guy who's leasing the building, I can't force anybody to do anything, you know, I'm a, you know, a good steward of, of my privilege and the resources that I've been provided, I just maintain if we don't mandate equity, if that's not a requirement, then our natural drift will be toward inequity. And I always tell people, my love is unconditional. It has no bounds, it has no conditions. My time, my attention, my money has all kinds of strings attached to it. So I don't think that it is fair if you're gonna lease that building to not lease it with conditions. How else can we assure 
equity and this new resource that's going to be coming to Flint that you could get a whole lot of support for. Because honestly, as the person leasing the building, you could actually say, if you want to use my building, these are the stipulations. You can actually put some strings on it. And so I'll tell you, as one of those things, Deborah, and, and you listed a few, um, my good friend, um, Abdullah, Abdullah El Amin, um, you, many of you are probably know Leon El Amin. Yeah. He said, this could be a great opportunity to introduce individuals to the industry. It should be a part of the hiring process that a percentage of employees be from those affected by it. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I want Deborah. I want to thank you for the setup because this is a great setup, and I've been waiting for this question. Yeah. I used I used the really bad word early on that people I thought would go sideways over. Yeah. I want to control this. <laughs> now, I want to be the ambassador for Flint with a company that wants to come in and do a provisioning center. Yeah. Where I don't have control is I cannot dictate to them virtually anything of how they run their business. What I can say is, here's what I expect. I expect half of your employees should be X. I expect there's no smoking on site. I expect that you need to come up with the X amount of dollars that go to some nonprofits that support A, B, C, D, and E. I can come up with those, right? But when you get into a, uh, when you get into a, a lease agreement, which we do not have yet, I have a letter of intent, which can blow up tomorrow, when we go before zoning or the, the planning commission, um, if there's nobody there saying this is a good thing, they're gonna blow it up and it's never gonna happen. But once that goes forward, now we're into a lease agreement. Now I do have some control. There will be expectations. Now the good thing about the company I'm dealing with is they are not local. They don't know anybody local. They have no local influence. They're gonna need some guidance because if not, they're gonna go down the wrong road and they're not gonna make money like they want to. That's where I want to come in. I don't want to be the landlord saying, oh, I just made a dollar this month. I want to be able to control it because the greater problem isn't if somebody makes a dollar or not. What if it's really crappy? What if they do a really shitty job, excuse my French, and it destroys what we're doing downtown and it destroys the culture that we're trying to build? That's what I want to avoid. Forget how much money is made on this deal. So we need some control over the company coming in and how they're going to conduct business. And based on my conversations, I think I'm going to have a, um, a great amount of control, even though I don't have equity. And that's the balance right there. And so they're very receptive to that. The thing that I want you to be our, our white male ally for is equity, right? Like I say, your, your money, you can, you, you, you can have your values and your love and all that be unconditional. But the, the leasing of your building, the leveraging of your relationships and the legacy of work that you've done in Flint, you got yep. Flint bread, born and bred, yep. right? Yep. So right. I think the use of your building and of your space should have some strings attached to it. Absolutely. And what those yep. strings are, the thing that I would ask for is that, you know, we, we create multiple opportunities and ultimately, Phil, we're gonna all have to grant some trust to one another, but it sounds like you are open for a conversation to what that could look like. Nothing that's going to be so egregious or burdensome that it would deter business. Because I do realize business in the business sector has the opportunity to innovate and diffuse innovation in our community at a pace that outpaces everything. You, businesses can do things faster than the hospitals, than the universities, than the even sometimes than our local philanthropic community. So I don't want to be a barrier to progress, but at the same time, 
What I don't wanna have is progress that continues power dynamics and further marginalization and alienation of those who've already been marginalized and alienated by a system that by its very design was meant for some of us to fail. That's well said. And at 72 years old, the, 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 when, when, you get, when you get to my age, the thing you start looking about is risk. Well, you don't want to risk when, you're, when you get older in age, right? The, 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 the least risk for me is not even to have this discussion, not even to talk about a dispensary, but I know it's coming, right? I do want to control it. The problem I'm having and why I'm so thankful for you, Deborah and Isaiah and Kisa to be on this line is you just said that, that it needs to be representative of, of certain things, right? I'm a privileged white guy. Somebody needs to help me with what those things are. And that's the reason for this podcast. Yeah. Help me understand the things that make it more equitable. I'm on the wrong side of the stage, girl. I'm on the wrong side of the stage, right? <laughs> and the risk for me is I'm trying to walk across the stage and find out what are some of those elements. I need you and Kisa and Isaiah and hopefully 30 other people, if they want to uh, send me an email or we have another discussion, Help me understand what those tenants are that if we make it past the, the monumental hurdles to even make this happen downtown Flint, what are those elements that I can go to this company and say, here's the kinds of things that we need to look at before we actually do that and make this something that I want the community to embrace this, not go, oh my God, look what they just opened. That's why we're having this discussion. So well, your question's perfect. And I will say this, I don't think it has to be an either or. I think you bringing and your this company bringing in the savvy and the mind of what is a, a viable business model coupled with an equity framework yep. that doesn't further inequity yep. could be a model that could yep. be used all across the nation. And so, 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 so Deborah, I'll that tell you this 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 kind of this this is a question that's gonna push a bit. And I'm gonna ask you to answer this for me and maybe for us. So Phil said. I want to get the insights from you, Deborah, you, Isaiah, you, Kisa, and maybe 30, 40 other folks. Inbox me, email me, share with me your thoughts about how we do this right. What's, the, R what's the ROI for those folks? So we, we talked about the billion dollar industry that's being created and who's going to benefit from it. Right. But now we're also talking about advice, right? That, right. It, that it's coming at a cost and for some ROI. What is that ROI from your perspective? Who are you saying that to me or, or who? I'm asking Deborah that. Okay. Oh, so so honestly, I just listened to what Kisa said. Because I <laughs> feel the thing that you said about it, it is where you are, from where you're sitting, the thing that you have to leverage the most is some social capital. Right. But for folks like Kisa, they've got to leverage both the physical, the F-I-S-C-L-A capital. They need some money. And then they've got to then be able to leverage the social capital. So I think a part of the ROI for the community would be, this is where we're starting. What, what I'm going to do, Phil Schultz, is I'm going to ensure that this is not a one and done for the big company that's coming in. I'm going to ensure that there's a seat at the table for the Kisas and the well-organized members of this community who have real skin in the game. See, I, I know this. I know for a fact that opportunity and talent and brilliance is evenly distributed across all people. But opportunity is so unfair. Opportunity is so defined and narrowed and, 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 and um, stacked up in, in particular groups. 
And so I think if we could use this opportunity to not only bring this resource to the city and potentially add something that will help downtown to continue to flourish, but also create openings for equity and seats at the table for people like Kisa and the group that she's organized to be able to leverage the physical and social capital that people like you have, I think that would be a good ROI. So and folks, Charles, and they win in the end. Charles, you've said this a couple of times. You are just a, you're just the building owner. Um, you are not representative of any of the companies that might be moving in. And there are only certain things that you can control and you use the word control. Where do we, and I've seen Dorian said something, Tatiana said something about this. Um, from your perspective, where do we memorialize all of these strings that we say are important if you're going to move something like that to this community? Is it at City Hall? Is it with the planning commission? Is it in your lease well, agreement? Where does it, where does it live? All right, that, that's a good question. But, but and I hate it when somebody is asked a question and they start the answer with somebody else's answer, right? But, uh -huh. but Deborah, you 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 said something that got me. You said something that got me when you said when you said that this could be a model where we take this company and we sit down with people within the community and we come up with a way that both parties win and from an equitable standpoint and we can make that sort of a model that's probably never happened in the state or the or the nation or whatever. That gets me excited. That gives me a new goal. I would love to be able to have when we're when it when it's time members of this company and myself and members of the community that have already vetted out what they what they think this should look like from an equitable position and see if we can all sit down and make that happen almost like a prototype that that gets me excited and that limits my risk but to answer your question isaiah if if this is something on this podcast and maybe there's 30 people or maybe there's going to be 300 in the next week if the feeling is that this is a good thing if it's done right we need to figure out what right is and then we're probably going to have to convince a bunch of people because I'm not so sure that City Hall or the council or the planning commissioner zoning are going to want to do that because there could be one or two people on there that just say, ah, I don't think that's a good idea. Next case. And I'm not so sure that this is of the value of just tossing it out because one or two people don't want to do it, especially after what Deborah said. I think this could be a, a social experiment. And I don't mean that to make that sound as negative as it does. Yeah, it is already. You saw everybody no, did. No, 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 hold on, hold on. You just prepared another 30-minute war, but go well, ahead. Come on, you know, you know me better than that. No, this may fail. If you've got a company and me and, and, and a group of people that say for this to work in Flint, Michigan, and the equity pieces are A, B, C, D, and E, and we put them together, it might be a great thing. It may fail miserably, but why don't, why don't we try? Wouldn't that be a great but thing? I don't think it could fail. The bit, Phil, the, what you all have been able to do with just the revitalization downtown, clearly you've got the head, the eye, the heart, right. all of that for business. No, yeah, but that's that, that your business. But you, you, you just don't enter the next. You've got that. We've got the equity piece. We do. We you can knew. just do the work to figure out how to braid those two together. It can't. That would be great. Because the reality of it is, without you, big business is coming in. The train has left the station. If not Correct. you, it will be somebody else who's unwilling to do what you're doing right now and have these conversations. So you I'm should have, You should have started the discussion for me. That's exactly my position. The problem is now you have to enter politics. And no matter how good you do and Isaiah does and these other 30 people and the company and me to sit down and say, yes, we can live in this world. We, were, we, we will grant the occasion for this to happen within this world. That doesn't mean it's going to happen in downtown Flint because of politics. 
Mm. And that would be, that would be a shame because I think Deborah's really got me going now because, and, and so does Kisa because I, I've never really talked to Kisa about this, but, but when I saw the glint in her eye, when I said raspberries, it was right downtown and she goes, oh my God, I want to garner that enthusiasm. I want to garner that enthusiasm and coalesce it around a plan to deal with the company that wants to come in and make this happen because this would be exciting to me. This is the kind of, this is the kind of thing that stimulates me. I don't need to rent another damn building downtown. Uh, this at 72, this gets me excited. And so Phil, I was to me, Phil, I, let me, let me say this. I, what's interesting to me, Phil, is that I, I started this conversation, obviously knowing very little about the work this year outside of what I could learn or I have picked up on, as I've heard people talking about, it, I was able to pick up on by reading a little bit before the call. Um, and I started with an, if this is going to happen, these right. are things that need to be in place to ensure right. equity is center, right? When we start right. talking about business banking and workforce development and how we engage in a post-COVID recovery, how do we make sure black and brown people have access to the resources that we know will be coming to communities like ours? That was my yeah. thought. Yep. And now what I'm hearing is a, I want to call it a request, but an invite to be a bit of an ambassador for how this should happen homegrown and driven by folks who see equity at the center because somebody else is going to do it and they might not include the shit, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, don't, I don't know how I feel. I, I don't know how I feel because I never, and you know this already, Phil, I'm not and have not been an ambassador of the idea of dispensaries in general, let alone down, just in Flint. Like, I, I still... Yeah. I still live in that world. We don't even see the potential for our people who are already involved in this anyway. They're <laughs> okay. growing and Phil, maybe you don't know them, but I know a whole lot of black growers. It wasn't safe to be a I black you. You're a white kid, you get pulled over with a joint in your car. The police tell you to stop horsing around. You're black, you're on the ground with your face in the gravel and a knee on your neck. So it's not been safe for us to be forthcoming. But remember what I said, talent is evenly distributed. We've got the same horticultural, same distribution, same business talents. We just haven't had the opportunities and the ways we have engaged in this industry have cost us our, our lives and our freedom and our vitality. So best believe if we come to this dispensary downtown and we see people that look like us down there, if we see the next dispensary that opens up in North Flint being manned by somebody who got connected through this company, got trained through a growers program, who was a former felon for a marijuana related offense. Phil, you go from, you know, in your latter days worrying about risk to now building legacy, not just in Flint, but across our nation. This train has left the station, people. I'm telling you, it's happening everywhere. I'm just grateful that you're willing to have the conversation and grapple a little bit. I was waiting for you to say something crazy so I could come for you because I really love <laughs> people that love you argue with you. Like, we're not going to, this ain't going to always be pretty. But by the way, I invited Deborah to come for you, by the way. Yeah. That was the whole dude, plan dude, was for so Deborah to come for you. That's the great thing. <laughs> Deborah, if you think you got the stripes to handle me, you can come at me any day, girl, but you better be on your best day. That's all I know. I'm ready. I'm ready. So I will tell you. I, but, worth fighting for. They say you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. 
This is not a stupid game. We're talking about continuing the growth and development downtown. You're talking about being open to centering equity at a conversation that has caused so much inequity and harm in our society. And somebody like you has the potential with your business savvy and your steeping in this community and willingness to be open and transparent about these conversations to change a national conversation and landscape. This could well, be the me, model born so out of- Phil, before you go, I've been getting head nods from Kisa for a while. And I just I want to know, know what's, what's on your mind. I'm going to go on mute. What, but you know, I, it's, just, it's just crazy because I'm just thinking of, uh, I'm mixing this in with my past because everybody knows I'm, I'm a former felon. I actually did, uh, you know, time in federal, uh, in federal camp for marijuana, you know, years ago. I'd never been in trouble. It was my first time ever getting in trouble. So it's just crazy because the, the, when, I was, when I was still in prison, the, the conversation of recreational, it had already became like, not recreational, but the medical marijuana was starting to enter the conversation. And I was like, man, I got to get home. Why am I in, why am I in prison for, for marijuana? And now they're about to, you know, turn the tables and make it legal. So it's just crazy because I, I've always looked at marijuana as uh, it's just as on the cigarette level. And that for the first thing you can be having this conversation is just amazing because I, I just, I don't know. It's just crazy to me because I'm like, I, <laughs> it's just crazy. Well, so Deborah, come, on, Deborah, come off mute for a second. Yeah. You're off mute. So um, there is Wait, this conversation. You talked about the hold, next election of this going to the North side potentially and what it might look like if a person who was impacted negatively by this actually is leading in that space. What do we do about the stigma associated with the mar mar marijuana and not just not just in community, but more specifically in black the black community. The well, stigma today or the stigma next year? Today. I think the stigma today is it's evaporating as we speak. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a model called cognitive behavioral therapy, and that is the old model used to be you change your thoughts and your behavior will follow. Well, in CBT, they flip it on their heads and they say you start to change your behavior and eventually your thoughts will catch up. These things are happening. And as these things are happening, people's thoughts about them are catching up to what we already know. And Keith, respectfully, marijuana is severely less toxic than a cigarette. Cigarettes, I'm just, right. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> and in many states- That is toxic, but I'm like, just the way that no, they I got, were- I got the point that you I always thought it should have been legal, you know, but I just I just didn't get it. Well, let, let, me, let me tell you, and I made this statement in a podcast with, with Isaiah a couple of days ago. My dad said a long time ago, don't go into a meeting go into a meeting hoping you get more than you gave, right? And, and, and I got a lot out of this meeting. And let me tell you how I just changed my view. I, and I don't know if Kisa was at the beginning, but I, I, wanted to in, I wanted to investigate making that a provisioning center out of, um, to protect the downtown area. One of the groups that wanted to give me multiples of hundreds of thousands of dollars cash, that's a lot of money, cash, we're going to open it in raspberries, assuming we get the politics taken care of and whatever, which is a huge hurdle. The name of the place I would not put on my bumper. And not only that, they were going to bring up their own culture, which doesn't really exist in Flint, to run a business to take money out of Flint and send it back to them. That's what I want to protect against. So that was my main goal. But now listening to what Deborah said, if we can, if we can out of my protectionist viewpoint, take that, 
but listen to what the equitable pieces are that I don't know. I mean, I can guess a couple of them, obviously, but if I can understand what those are and take those and mold those with what the company needs, right? And, and this be a place where we can look at a provisioning center differently for Flint, Michigan, and how it can impact those that have been negatively impacted by the marijuana business, that excites me. That gets me going because now I've saved, I've solved two problems. I've protected because our own are going to be running this place, right? Not somebody from Detroit and take their money and send it overseas. But I also am protecting some of the people in my community because I'm going to help them from the equitable piece, maybe the employment piece, and maybe feel good about themselves. And then to Deborah's point, maybe expand it so that maybe there's a training ground. Maybe there's a, a something because the company I'm dealing with has a lot of money. And I think they've got a very large social conscience that I've already had to vet out to make sure, make sure that they do and supposedly they do. So I think I got more out of this meeting um, than I gave. And I think I've got a new, um, a new direction for this. And, 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 and very soon we need to sit down somebody to find out what those pieces are when I talk to this company. And then we got to figure out is it even possible to get it through the city council and or the planning commission or whatever, because that no matter how good of a job we do collectively, that's still gonna be a hurdle that we may not. And that would be the great shame if we ever, isn't that something, if we ever formed this relationship that the company liked and the people within the community liked because they had an input how it was gonna be, and then we couldn't get it through, that would be the big catastrophe of this would you, would you Would you consider paid advisors when I was thinking about the ROI earlier, I knew I was not just the ROI for community, not the ROI for communities of color, specifically while that's important, but the ROI for people giving their time and talent to ensuring you don't make the wrong mistakes or that you do this right. So I mean, almost like pay boards, like how do we ensure we get the right voices engaged, but we also give them what they're due for their investment? Uh, well, that's a great question and you are not gonna like my answer. <laughs> uh, I, I am not going to pay an individual for their advice. What I will do is I will make a donation to a 501c3 for a group for their advice because I, I, don't want, I don't want advice to be changed or manipulated by money. I want the core absolute gut-wrenching, absolute naked thoughts. And all I know after 72 years, you introduce money into the equation and people's personality and thoughts change. And I'm not going there. But mm, I, I, got smi I got smiles happening at the bottom of my screens. I, I know, and Phil, I like it, but here's what I would say, Phil. Here's I only what have I one say. screen on mine. I'm only one no, person. I love it. I love it. But here's what I would say, Phil, also, you know, because the idea that this could be a model. So I, I love that. Clear, we're splitting hairs politically everywhere. If you look at what happened with the presidential election, thousands of votes. If you look at what happened with the mayoral election in Flint, it was hundreds of votes. So yep. you're not going to get everybody because we don't live in a, in a everybody or even an overwhelming majority time. That's just not the time we're in. Everything has, is coming down to like a nail biter, the wire, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, I do. I'm not gonna have that. So, but my point is, is if, if we as a community and whatever that means when I say we, 
decide that this is something that we want to go forward with. And I can hear you on the not pay because I was like, I'll do it for free because I don't ever want the appearance of a conflict of interest. And Absolutely. I realized that I have a privilege. Why? Because I got a job with a full-time paycheck. I can honor the shelter in place and stay at home order, which is tone deaf to most people because they don't have the kind of jobs where they can do that and still keep the lights on, you know, mm -hmm. and all of that. But if there was a way to have some nonprofit arm that you want to talk about being able to control something, some nonprofit arm to what this could be that would be solely for the reinvestment of people who've been negatively impacted by this to have opportunity to engage in it, that would be transformative. Okay, well, two points. One, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm now offering, which I didn't even know was on the table, is I'm offering a seat at the table. That's what I'm offering. I'm offering a seat at the table that I will coordinate. You know where my love is, at least I hope you do. My love is for the city of Flint. I haven't seen, I've seen my wife once since February, right? I'm in Flint, she lives in New York, everybody else is in LA. I am not leaving this stupid town. I don't know why, but they're gonna bury me here. That's just the way it is. <laughs> the second thing is what I've talked to, when I've talked to this company, there is a social component, which I'm hoping will, will mean dollars to go to something. So the one that you're talking about, Deborah, the entity that you're talking about to help benefit those that were most abused by this stupid thing called the law against marijuana, I, I'm not so sure that that wouldn't be something on an ongoing yearly basis that this company wouldn't help fund. Because if we got- Or, or contribute to. And I'm just gonna tell you, I've done this work and been the fierce advocate. I've interrupted state hearings and city hearings in the substance abuse treatment domain. I would be happy to be a disruptor in conversations for this. Like that, I think, yeah. That's like, my I'm favorite word. So, 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 Disrupt so is my favorite word. I'm gonna word. tell you what I've been wrestling with for just a second. And I've been listening in the conversation, but I'm still, um, and I understand um, the, comp the, the perceived interest that could exist if you were to pay folks. But I'm also very aware of 400 years of exploitation of black bodies, black, black intelligence, right? What does it mean when we know for sure somebody's gonna get rich off of this? In order to do it well, we're going to lean into the experience, the lived experiences of people, not you, not me, right? Who have the privilege of saying, listen, I'll give my advice for free because I get paid over here. I can be safe in this space, physically, mentally, emotionally safe in this space. But what about the folks who really get it? They really understand how to connect to folks on the ground, how to make this happen, how to ensure equity is at the center. What is the ROI for them giving their time and talent, their advisory skills to this thing to be fruitful, knowing that it's going to make some people rich? It's not going to be them. They did it for free. Now, we, we watch a lot of these public boards pay people money to advise, to connect them to community, to ensure they're on the straight and narrow and doing it right. They pay them for that. What is wrong with even considering pay here and then throwing in the perceived conflict? And I'm just asking, just throwing that out. No, it is, it is, it, that is, you know, you and I go way back and I love you like a brother, but I'm telling you, that is a zero on my chart. Well, I, I, look, I, you know what, because I'm what you feel, because I'd uh, rather honestly see no individuals get paid, but see an investment in something that's going to benefit communities, that's going to benefit here, populations of individuals. We, I just don't, I feel like- here, as we, as we think about charity, I mean, as we, and I'm not going to go down the long line of charity because that's not the hat I have on for this conversation. But as we think about charity in general, you got to remember 
This is legal in the state of Michigan. Charity is defined by the IRS, which is a federal thing, where it's illegal. So figuring out the charity line here is going to be really hard because getting connected to a federal federal charity is where that's where charity is decided. This is a statewide legal thing, and decriminalization hasn't happened yet. Let me tell you the ROI. All right, I I am I'm the farthest thing from a black individual in in this city. I I I, I can relate on some levels, um, but on a lot of levels I absolutely can't. But let me try, right? You want to know what my ROI would be? You're flipping going to listen to me. You're actually going to listen to my to what I want. You're actually going to take my view of the world that is unlike mine, and you're going to listen to that view, and you're going to create change based on that view. I think that's a big deal, especially if we ever got it through and we made it some kind of training center or whatever that could be. And on an ongoing basis, this company pays a 501c3 that does good for maybe maybe people they got out of jail that had marijuana uh, um, convictions or whatever and giving them an opportunity. But I think the ROI for somebody to sit at the table and to give their advice is just that there's somebody willing and wanting to listen to them that could create change. If that isn't, that's the greatest ROI I've ever wanted before I started making money. So ROI is return on investment. Somebody just asked that question. I just want to be clear. Return on investment. Return on your investment of time, talent, and treasure and making this thing great. So if I'm, if I'm, if, if I'm Kisa, right. And, and, and definitely she's got to be one of the advisors. If she's on that advisory board, I would think, and I don't mean to put her on the spot. I would think it would make her feel good that somebody wants to listen to her life experiences and, and what she thinks should be done with this provisioning center to gratify her and people like her, whether they, they've been in federal prison or not in federal prison, I think that's a huge return on but the people, investment. People aren't jumping into the marijuana and the cannabis industry to make the world better. They're do, jumping in it to make money. And so now we're talking to a person, and I'm, I'm only using Kisa because she's on the line, who went to went to a federal camp for doing this and now we're going to use her lived experience and not give her money for it? I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm no, not. No, no, no. Instead no, of no. us talking about her, let's ask her. Keith, okay. would, you right. paid, would you rather be paid $100 for every meeting you attended or would you rather have a seat on the board of a 501c3 that's generating tens of thousands or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars every year and be in the seat of power, authority, control, and decision-making to determine how that money gets reinvested back in our community and for affected people. Would you rather have $100 per meeting or a seat on the board of an organization with hundreds of thousands of dollars determining cash flow? I don't like the premise of the either or, but I would love that, Harry. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I don't either, but that's okay. You said we, like the said, we, we, we automatically assume what people want is money. And sometimes people don't want money. What they want is some semblance of power and control and authority over their own outcomes. That's what freedom is for black people. We just want to be in control of our own destiny. Yep. You know, other people talk about freedom, not, be, not being having to wear a mask. I don't care about that. I want to be in control of my own destiny and my own outcomes. That's what freedom is to me. So I'd rather have a seat on the board of the 501c3 than get a little penance right now as a paid advisor. I'd rather be able to shape and influence how the whatever set aside money that comes out of this or whatever we can raise around it goes to then get reinvestment for people who've been impacted. But let's not talk for Kisa. Kisa, what you nope. say? <laughs> okay, oh. so I am, uh, I'm, I'm definitely motivated by uh, the, the, you know, being an ambassador, having a seat at the table, but I'm also motivated by money. 
So I am, uh, it's, it's both for me. You know what I mean? Because you never want to, um, I do plenty of things that don't have, that are not money based, but if you add the money on there, it's, so it, boom. I, so feel like, I feel like money gives you freedom too. You know, if we can look at it in a different way. Let's um, make it both in. Phil, yeah. you tell your people well, as, as if, the they guy, the really, if they want to get the biggest bang and have the least amount of resistance, because I know having gone through this in the past, trying to navigate through the political process, when you've got real community advocates who are as loud as the naysayers and the descenders, you the, the loudest voice oftentimes wins. Let Not me, let me, let me, the majority voice. So maybe they need to be paying the folks in the community that become their champions. Maybe that's not the right role for you to play and who you are in the setup, but maybe that's something that you can impose, but you can suggest we've got people in the community. However, their time, attention, lived experience is valuable. I encourage you and I'll build a bridge for you to bring them on some of them as paid advisors to honor their time, attention, and lived experience. Okay, but, but, but there's, there's, there's two payments we're talking about. You're talk, I think what Isaiah started to talk about is if we were gonna have a, a meeting next week and we had 10 people in it paying them, I think Deborah, what you're talking about is after there's an ongoing business and they take a pot of money and give it to a 501c3, how that's directed. I wanna go back to Isaiah's comment. And, and what I've learned in 50 years in business, people I pay hardly ever disagree with me. Isn't that interesting? I want people to disagree with me. I want them to fight with me. I don't want them to say, boy, I better not disagree because I may not get this $100 in the next meeting. That's bullshit. I want, I want, if we're going to do this, let's get some really radical people that want to disrupt. Let's sit them in a room. Let's find out the five or things that they want to do. And we'll knock out two because they're illegal or fattening or inappropriate or whatever it is. And we'll take the three or four or five things that we think are possible, sit down with this company, have the conversation. Hopefully they say yes. Right. And then after that arduous task, then we got to figure out if the city will even let us do this, but let's go through that process. I don't want to pay people that I'm asking for advice because they always tell me what I want to hear. So, so while I don't agree, I can respect what you just said. Sure. Yeah. What, oh, what so you, you have said. a lot of people within your, within your organization that disagree with you. And he's going to say yes, because I know him. <laughs> I actually have managed to create a culture within which people can disagree. And, to a point. And I'm working on creating a culture within which people feel safe disagreeing. And so that's why yeah. I said I can respect what, what, you, I can respect right. what you're saying, right. Um, right. although I don't know that I like it. Um, I am not going to pay people for advice to, to move something like this forward. I'd rather just submarine the whole thing. Well, I'll just, one thing I'll add to it, and I, I, I get it all. I get all of it too. And I see the nuance, Isaiah, of what you were raising. If you were taking on a new industry, and I'm assuming, Phil, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you have any paid advisors who are bringing you up to speed on this whole new zero. Industry. But if you were, sure. let's just hypothetically say you were going to break into the hair business and you were going to start selling uh, human hair weaves. <laughs> this is about to be fun. Go ahead. You, you would likely bring somebody on who's got experience doing it as a consultant. I think the point that Isaiah is pointing to is we oftentimes devalue the expertise. And I deal with this. I run the Flint Center for Health Equity Solutions, trying to fi figure out the compensation grid for our community co-leaders, when I had to compare them to the academic leaders was an interesting thing. 
Because here I have a PhD from Johns Hopkins, but here you've got lived experience unparalleled to mine and, and you bring something to the table that I don't bring. So we did ultimately figure it out. And what we did is we basically created parity. But you're- Well, this is what the academic leaders make. And so the community co-leaders need to be on par and make something similar. And we sort of figured it out. I'm not trying to change your mind because the point that you're making, again, I'm not an expert in what you're expert in. I just wanna make sure, I think we share the core value that people's experiences and their expertise and what they bring is of value. How so here's we quantify the difference. and compensate that value, we probably need to grapple with. I, un I understand your example, but here's where I feel it's misplaced. Ooh, ouch. Because forget, forget everything we said and forget we even had the podcast, right? If I get it through zoning, which I could probably do, yeah. We've got a provisioning center and heck with all you people, heck without your return on investment, heck without you guys sitting at the table. You know, we don't need to do that to run the business. We sure. don't, but it's going to be a business. It's not going to be reflective of the community we live in. All right. Or, or who's going to benefit from that? Maybe some guy in California is going to benefit from it. That's not what I want. I want to know the elements that will help benefit the community in, a, in an environment that I can't appreciate because I'm a white guy living on the south side of Flint. So, so I, I don't want to have to pay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little upset that we're even getting into the conversation that this is turning into a pay for play when the seat at the table to try to create a change in, 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 an, in an industry that turns its back on people that have been disenfranchised because of that. No, me, my mind. So, so I'll tell you this one thing I, I feel like I feel like I'm happy. I'm really happy right now. One, because that means I've done a decent job as a host if you're getting a little upset. So I, I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, yeah. I actually don't mind that you're a little pissed about it because this this is the push. This yeah. is the, I mean and this is Isaiah's personal personal opinion about it. I struggle with us not compensating people for what they bring, and then we find ways to defend why we don't compensate them for what they bring. Right? And, well, then I think this is a great role for the community foundation to place a grant. Um, to, to a private organization. So we we can go no, there, not, but a, a private to a private organization that's doing what? No, no, not to a, to an entity. Let, let's find an entity that will, let's find an entity that will promote this discussion funded by a community foundation. And it goes to the whatever existing 501c3 and let them, if, if you guys want to go down this road, let them hire the people that want to get into the discussion. But be careful because once you go down the road of hiring somebody to do this, I, are they going to do it because they want the money? Or are they going to do it because they feel like Kisa? Because but I want to talk to the Kisas. But the framing of that, the framing of this is all, I don't have to do this. I'm doing you a favor by engaging you, right? That's the framing. And then when you say, but, and I'm not going to do it, but this seems like a role for somebody else. Who's not going to make money off of this thing? The community, and I'm not representing, I'll always represent the community foundation is not going to make money off marijuana. That's not what we're doing. Someone else is, and that person or that group or that organization. You don't know that. You don't know that. That are going to support creating the structure that includes equity, that includes a return on investment. That shouldn't be coming from from some public charity. I'm not the one that wants to pay people. You do. If you want to pay them so bad, find out the vehicle. Ah, you don't know. You don't know that marijuana is not going to bring the county foundation money. You don't know that. That is a very good point. No, that point that you just not the one before. The yeah. one you just made. I don't know. Right. The one before, I totally disagree with. You want to bring more wealth to Flint 
for Genesee County community. The more wealth that comes here, the more opportunity you have a chance to get your piece of the pie. But that's a whole nother discussion. Well, and I will say this too, I'm willing to burn down anything if my people are gonna be left out of it. I'm just being honest. I, I, like, why I, why I, do you I, think I'm having this conversation? I know, and I would get a whole lot of people with me to stand in front of me oh, and burn this whole shit down. You know oh, the people. Because, no, then don't get me wrong, Phil. I'm not doing that. That's not a threat. No, 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 no. We're not burning down raspberries. No, but. no, no, Phil. I feel like <laughs> I, feel, I, got I, feel like, I feel like you in the choir, but really you was in the pews, and then you came up to the choir and you learning the words and you learning the melody. I don't know if you've ever been to black church, but it's funny when you see somebody for black church at the first time. Four you times know, you've been. Pastor will say something. And then they'll say, God is good. And then the, the, the white, the new white members go, yes, he's great. And then oh, the know. black people go all the time. Cause it's like a certain cadence to how we flow. And Phil, I appreciate you for jumping into the, stepping into the choir and we, we trying to get the melody down. So Isaiah, I think we got to grapple with this um, a little bit. This is not a one and done kind of conversation. And Phil, exactly what we're doing right now is the kind of work to roll our sleeves up and grapple with it. But but I think you, I think we just made a giant leap. I think we made a huge assumption. And I think the assumption is at least the, the, the three or four people on this panel right now are yeah. saying, yep, we can go, it's okay to go ahead and do this. We just don't know how to do it. Have we made the assumption that this is good to do? I mean, do, do people want this downtown Flint? We, that's the first assumption. Now, if they if that assumption is yes, or maybe this process of, the engagement in the equity piece helps promote, yes, we need to do it. I don't know which comes first. Well, so I don't think that do people want it is a question that we're gonna be able to answer with some overwhelming majority. It's just simply not the times we're living in. It, it's just right. not, it's we're coming. Not, we're not gonna get the overwhelming majority, yes, this is good. We're probably not gonna get the overwhelming majority, yes, this is bad. You're gonna get the loud voices, they'll say whatever they say, we're all going to have to stand in. Do we have some shared core values to do something that we see value in for the city? Well, I'm going to also remind us of the, the 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 framing, if you will, not even the framing. The assumption that we made in starting this was that it was going to come within five years. It's coming. It's that coming. The it's coming. It's coming. I actually think we'll get some. I think people are more open-minded now, and you know, not just being in general. I do feel like. Uh, you know, just with, with Flint, period, I think people are just open-minded about businesses coming in. I don't, I don't, I haven't really heard a lot of backlash on the marijuana business, but, um, like, and I'm, I'm all around so many people in circles, but I still feel like, I think it's going to be, uh, I don't think we're going to get a lot of bad feedback. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, we, I don't think we will. Think yes. about your city council one second. Just take one second and run through city council in your mind. We got no, it's not, it's not city council. It's not city council. No, it's not city council. It's planning commission. No, okay. I understand. But all, all it'll take is for one council person, one outspoken oh, community oh. person, one. I'm just saying. Think I don't even know who's on the city council right now. If they don't, if they don't see, uh, have a dog in the fight or see something in it for them, we already, it, and regardless of that, it's it still coming. This train has left the station. It's moving so slow that any one of us could just kind of, you know, uh, skip up to the train and jump on. But the train has already started to leave the and station. To, and to Isaiah's point, 
is, is I want this community to have influence of who, when that train lands, I want this community to have influence at who's running that train. Yeah. Yep. And so back to an earlier question, and I think, again, I think Dorian said this and Tatiana may have said this at some point, where is this memorialized? Is it memorialized in the agreement with you and the lessee or the organization that's coming in? Is it memorialized in the agreement with the planning or zoning commission? Or is it, where does this live? This set of strings or agreements around equity and centering equity in this new business? It would be in, in a purchase agreement with myself. That's why I want to be the controlling idiot, right? I want somebody that has the good emphasis on the Flint community involved in driving this train. So it would be, it would be in the lease agreement between me and the company. Just like, you know, some places um, smoke on site. I don't want smoking on site. I don't want smoking marijuana in my building. I don't, period. It's a, that's a non-starter non for me, right? That's one. So there are other things. I want a social component, right? And, and we, we've talked about ambassadors and we've talked about a variety of things, but that, that comes in a whole other discussion once we figure out, can we make this happen? And what are those elements? He's asking me for the elements. I'm going to my friends and constituents and neighbors saying, help me decide what those elements are that we can push back on the company. I shouldn't say push back, but bring them to the forefront so we can discuss them. So one thing I can almost promise you, just one thing I can almost promise you, in the next few days, you will get lots of comments about what people think. As a matter of fact, and while I was saying, no way you go off into this world and don't pay people for their contributions, for their investments of time and talent. There are a number of people in the chat that are saying for free, we will share information with you of what should happen. So there, there, are, there is a large number of folks that are willing to give you feedback. You can, as we go back through the comments, you'll see some of those names and folks, and I'm thinking a lot of people will free um, and you solicited it. So you will get tons of feedback about what should be happening, not only in downtown Flint, but in this specific business and how it should move forward. One, I just want to thank you. We're just under an hour. When we get to that hour mark, hour and 15 mark, people start to fall off. I want to make sure that um, you know, I, and I'm sure the folks on the call appreciate you being open about this business. Because to your earlier point that I don't like, this all could have happened behind closed doors and been rolled out and shared with community. This is what we're doing. And engagement typically doesn't happen at this point in the discussion. And so I appreciate that, but I'm also gonna offer some room for some final comments. We'll start with Kisa, we'll go to Deborah, and then we'll close out with you, Phil, and then we're gonna jump off of this live and I'm gonna get some Sunday dinner. Kisa. I just wanna say, I appreciate uh, you guys even inviting me in on the conversation. Um, I think, I'm, uh, I just love being downtown. You know that um, we're still working on the, the new business. I'll be moving in about five we're gonna, months. We're going to get you in there. Yeah. So we got we, we just been getting the paperwork done. It's been uh, it's it's You're been great. Talking about it again, and um, you know, I'm just really looking forward to uh, the things that's coming down. Not just downtown Flint, but just overall Flint period. But just pe getting people out. You know, a lot of people have been. Um, a lot of people wasn't even frequenting downtown and we and just just last year with just all those events and all those things that were happening it's been really really bringing a lot of joy into people's lives and revenue to the businesses and also our visitors because a lot of people still visit home a lot of people from flint come home all the time 
and it has uh, really been an enhancement to have those things going on. So I just want to say I really appreciate everything that's going on right now downtown and how you push for black businesses downtown, which a lot of people probably don't know that, you know, but um, Phil is always pushing. He's 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 there. He's in the he's in the conversation. So for any for any of us to even just be having these conversations is really, really, really dope to me. Dope thing. And I just I'm I'm happy about it. I think it's a uh, for people to actually now you see that other people has already been talking about it. So so somebody to be jumping on that that actually right here in the community, I think it's going to be a great thing. So I hope it I hope it comes through. I hope it comes to pass because I think it'll be a great addition to downtown. I really do. Thank you, Kisa. Dr. Deborah. Well, yeah, I appreciate you, Phil, for being willing to just grapple and um, have the conversation. Um, I it's unfortunate that we live in a world where you know, I, I have to just say thank you for being willing to do the work and have the conversation. Because unfortunately, the current power dynamic is a lot of people who are in the power seat making the decisions, controlling the outcomes and destinies of people that don't look like them, don't have the experience similar to theirs, don't take the opportunity or the time um, to do this work. So um, you can trust that we'll continue to be your partners and also hold you accountable. But more than anything, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful that you're willing to um, have the conversation um, and maybe do something that will not only be good business, but that'll that'll also be good humanity. Love you that's that, what we Appreciate the comment. Charles. Uh, I've had a full life. Um, my wife lives in Manhattan. My kids live in Hollywood, California. Um, those are two places that are probably maybe have a little bit more advantages than Flint, Michigan. Uh, but for some stupid reason, they're going to have to pry me out of this place and it ain't going to happen for a while. I love this town. I love the people. I love the opportunities. Um, we can make this place better, but we can't do it as whites. So we can't do it as blacks. We got to do it as we got to do it together. Um, Kisa knows that. And um, I, I, after what, what Deborah said, I'm more engaged in this process now, because if this could be some moniker, some type of, of thing that happened in Flint, Michigan around something that doesn't happen in the marijuana business, that gets me excited. If we can be the leaders in that, that's that's cool. So I, I guess I don't know what next steps are, but if, if somebody smarter than me can get a group of people that we can get on a Zoom and talk about the elements and whatever, um, I'm all for it. And then at some point, we'll probably have to talk a strategy of how we make this happen with the zoning or whatever it is. But I, I want to find out the elements first to make sure that those are workable. And I'm dedicated to make this happen and, and try to right some wrongs that you know, maybe it's a little way that I can write some wrongs that just it's the way life works, I guess. I don't know. But I appreciate everybody's time, whether you're on on a Zoom call or you're listening. Uh, um, see what happens. But I'm engaged. You are you are amazing. And I just I appreciate you sharing your lived experiences. Deborah is my fireball and I appreciate you showing up and being 100 percent you. And Phil, uh, my friend, man, I just appreciate you being you and um, continuing to deliver and innovate and um, be open in your innovation around what happens in this community. That said, um, lots of folks on, watching us, commenting, offering thoughts. Do not go into my inbox. Inbox Phil Schultz. Easy, easy. No, we appreciate you. There probably is a next step that's coming. Um, we, we have to figure out what that is, what that conversation looks like, how it's shaped, who's engaged. Um, but I will tell you, I'm leaving this conversation 
um, with more questions about how we move forward than answers. And I look forward to engaging with the folks who are going to marginalize the most as this, as this evolves to help us get the answers to those questions, um, whether they're paid or not paid. Um, thanks for coming. Um, and Deborah, we can end the live. God bless folks.